Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Brian O'Connor, fire prevention engineer with the National Fire Protection Association, about workplace fire prevention tips. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Brian O'Connor, an engineer with the National Fire Protection Association, and we're going to talk about fire prevention tips. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Excellent. Well, uh, to start things off, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and the NFPA. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with uh, my favorite subject first, myself. Uh, my name is Brian O'Connor. I'm a fire protection engineer licensed over in Massachusetts. I live in the Boston metro area. I have my master's in fire protection from uh, the University of Maryland. I've been working at NFPA for just about eight years now. And the way I got into fire protection is my dad's a firefighter in New York City. So it's kind of oh, been nice. in the for a while. Uh, and then NFPA, talk, I can talk about NFPA for days, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, <laughs> NFPA, we were founded in 1896, so we just celebrated our 125th anniversary, so we're, we're quite seasoned. Uh, the National Fire Protection Association, often abbreviated as NFPA, uh, we're a global, self-funded nonprofit organization. We're devoted to eliminating death, injury, property, and economic loss due to fire, electrical, and related hazards. Um, so our mission is to help save lives and reduce loss with information, knowledge, and passion. And we deliver information and knowledge through more than 300 consensus codes and standards, research, training, education, outreach, ad advocacy. We do a lot. And we do this all by ourselves, but also with partnering with others who share an interest in furthering our mission. Uh, in total, we have over 5,000 individuals around the world who are part of our members. Um, so I mentioned... NFPA has high aspirations, right? We want to eliminate all these negative consequences of fire, electrical, and related hazards. But there's not going to be one solution for that. There's no one, you know, cure all for that. So NFPA approaches this from seven different angles. We have our codes and standards. So most people in the fire and electrical professional world will know NFPA as a codes and standards development organization, which we do. We produce more than 300 codes and standards worldwide with the help of our over 8,000 expert volunteers who form these committees who write the codes and standards. And we produce codes and standards in a lot of different categories, such as fire protection systems, such as your sprinklers or fire hydrants and fire alarms, you know, how to install those, maintain them and things like that. Uh, life safety, so we have how to design buildings so everyone can get out safely in the event of emergency. Uh, we have electrical safety, such as our national electrical code. That's a huge component of fire safety as well. But also, you know, no one wants to get shot. There's a huge hazard with that. Mm -hmm. We have first responders, so we have things for our firefighters ensembles and their vehicles, as well as industrial and chemical hazards. When we start looking at things that might cause dust explosions or storage of hazardous materials, um, and we also do public education because the public is a huge component of the fire safety. Right? Um, it's important for the public to know all of this, and that's really the driving force behind our fire prevention week which this year we're celebrating our 100th anniversary of. Uh, and actually we're celebrating it this week, the week of October 8th, because it's in commemoration of the Great Chicago Fire, uh, which was back in 1871, huge devastating fire that burnt a majority of Chicago, uh, killing more than 250 people, leaving 100,000 homeless, destroying over 17,400 homes and structures, and then burning more than 2,000 acres of land. So it, it, it was a, a big event. And so that's kind of why it's always the first week in October to try to commemorate that. Uh, we have other public education programs, such as our Learn Not to Burn, helps children, you know, 
learn about fire safety through positive practical fire messaging. Early on, everyone's always curious. It's human nature to be curious about fire, right? Want to make sure kids that don't do anything too dangerous there. Uh, we also have a Remembering When program, which is information on how to conduct a comprehensive fire and fall prevention program for older adults in the community who are some of those at most at risk for that. And then also we have Sparky the Fire Dog, which is NFPA's mascot and just a really helpful tool for help teaching fire and electrical safety. Um, other than that, I'll go through our three departments kind of quick, but we have our outreach and advocacy. So we have our fire sprinkler initiative, just encouraging the use of home fire sprinklers. We have our FireWise community, which also tries to help educate people and homeowners living in wildfire prone areas. Uh, we do training, so we have in-person training, online training, that's actually where I do a lot of my work. Uh, we also have certifications for people wanting to um, you know, be certified in certain things. Uh, we have research, so we have a lot of statistical reports and studies and all this stuff. We have his historical fire investigations, and we have Fire Protection Research Foundation that conducts research to support the development of our codes and standards. We have a ton of resources, and then we have publications too. NFPA Journal is a magazine that comes out, I think, three times a year. We have NFPA podcasts and blogs and things like that. So NFPA does a lot. I know that was a long-winded answer to the first question. I promise the next couple will be short. No, Shorter. no, that's fine. <laughs> you know, that's why I got you on here. Um, well, as you mentioned, it's Fire Prevention Week. And want to talk about what workplaces need to do to better prevent fires. Yeah, absolutely. So, the, of course, there's a ton of things people can do because fire and life safety is a, a group effort, right? There's not going to be... We can't just designate one person as the fire and life safety officer and say, all right, solve the problem. Um, it needs to kind of be a, a group thing with right. buying from, from everyone. Um, and this, you know, includes things that can go as far as, you know, voting for government officials who you know are going to pass fire safe regulations and things like that. Um, educating your staff to make sure that they know what to do and when to do. Um, and, and, you know, mentioned this week is fire prevention week and, uh, this year's theme is Fire Won't Wait, Plan Your Escape. Each year has a theme with a little uh, jingle that goes with it. So <laughs> it's Fire Won't Wait, Plan Your Escape. This is meant to encourage homeowners to plan what they would do in the event of a fire, right? So looking at your homes and saying, okay, making sure there's two ways out of every room. Think about, do I have children or elderly or people with disabilities who might need additional assistance in evacuating? And just trying to think through that, vocalize it, talk about it because it's a lot harder to think about it in the event of emergency, panic might set in. Um, you know, you wanna make sure that there's a plan and that you follow through with it. And this goes well beyond just homeowners, right? And so this can go into the workplace, making sure that you thought about how people are gonna evacuate. Um, and we absolutely recommend uh, practicing this as well. So making sure that you, you keep it in practice. Um, and, you know, in the office setting, what are some things to watch out for that may cause a fire? Yeah, so unfortunately, there are a couple of different types of ignition sources that we might see. And the number one that we've seen a lot is probably smoking materials. You know, people go out on a smoke break or something outside, make sure there's a place to, you know, discard their cigarette butts and things like that because garbage fires often happen. So do mulch fires. Uh, people don't think about that. They flick their cigarette into, you know, some mulch. It's made of wood, it can catch on fire, um, and that can again grow into a more serious fire. But uh, that's definitely one. Another thing is just worn electrical equipment. You know, think of that, uh, and I, I, I don't want to call out Apple, but I feel like those iPhone chargers, they'll work 
forever, but they're, I always see them frayed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, you know, they still work, but those frayed wires can be a hazard. So you want to make sure that they don't, you're not really using equipment that's frayed, right? Or you don't want those power strips to be overloaded. You don't want to start plugging power strips into power strips into power strips because they're not meant to be used that way. Um, but really any damaged equipment or equipment not being used properly, just be aware of those. Um, and then just adding on to that, damaged lithium ion batteries have been a growing ignition source that we're seeing more and more out in the real world. Uh, so making sure that those, if you do see a battery that's damaged, that you dispose of it properly because uh, you know those things can start leading to fires as as we learned when right those those cell phones started catching on fire and there's a big right. reason that um, you know those batteries are in a lot of places and and. Oftentimes they work great, but when they become damaged, then they're much more likely to fail. So be careful about that. Um, so when it comes to training, what, what kind of fire prevention training should office employees have? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned, you know, don't wait, plan your escape as, as our theme. Uh, and I'm just going to reiterate that, that employees should be practicing overall evacuation of the building. And it really should be done at kind of these unpredictable intervals. Occupants won't be able to predict when the next fire or other emergency is going to happen. So they really shouldn't have advanced warning of these fire drills. Um, also, if you expect your employees to use portable fire extinguishers, they really should be trained on how to do so. Um, otherwise, they can kind of get themselves into more trouble trying to use either the wrong type of fire extinguisher or you know, trying to go back into a fire to get an extinguisher. Um, so, you know, First of all, a great rule is never have fire between you and an exit. If there is, that's when maybe an extinguisher can, can start helping you out to try to get through that. But um, yeah, no, we don't want people to go back and try to extinguish fires themselves going into a fire. We want to leave that to the professionals who, who know what they're doing. So um, I'd say portable fire extinguisher training is definitely something that you should look into if you have those everywhere and expect your employees to use them. Um, employees should also just Generally know about fire and life safety features of the building. You know, this will really help prevent people from accidentally impairing those systems. So your building is going to have a lot of things just designed into the layout, the uh, different systems inside there that are trying to help prevent people and, and hazards from uh, you know, destroying the building or putting people's lives at risk. So one of the big things we see, especially when we start getting to holidays and, and celebrations and things like that is, you know, don't hang decorations off your fire sprinklers. Um, another huge thing is start, don't store things in exit stair enclosures. Those, you know, when you get into your, your exit stairs, that's supposed to be really a, a safe haven for you when you're evacuating. You know, we don't want to store anything in there because that's our lifeline to get outside, right? We don't want to start blocking that. And then even extending that, don't block other evacuation routes. I see people starting to box themselves into their cubicles. That can be you know, while it might be good for storing a ton of stuff, you don't really want to block your route out of the building. Um, other than that, I'd say don't prop open doors. Doors are there to help stop the spread of smoke and fire. If you close a door, you're much safer on the other side of it than a wide open door with fire kind of on the other side. So that can really help stop the spread of smoke and fire. And smoke is actually the number one, uh, you know, killer in fires people will suffocate and choke on smoke before fire actually gets to them. So trying to prevent the spread of smoke is huge. Something else is just don't bring hazardous materials into the building, you know, accelerants like fuel and things like that, or ignition sources that you don't need. 
Um, so if you're, you know, if you're in an office and you don't necessarily need these different types of ignition sources and stuff like that, don't bring them in. Um, and then outside the building, you know, fire lanes are important for firefighters. Don't block them. Um, overgrown shrubbery can, can be blocking access for firefighters. It can be hiding fire hydrants. Um, if you live in an environment where there's going to be a lot of snow, make sure that you know where fire hydrants are and they aren't hidden by that snow. Um, so I could I can go on and on, but I think those are some of the, the top ones there. Uh, definitely. Um, so, you know, with many employees returning to office work after, you know, sort of a couple of years of working from home, how should employers handle, you know, refresher training for them about fire prevention? Ah, great, great question. Um, so fire prevention training should definitely be done, you know, in the office. And I don't think it, anything is unique post-pandemic from pre-pandemic, except that people might just not be as familiar with the office, right? right? So when you're right. in there, you want to make sure that it, it's done. Um, and then also when thinking about the frequency of this education, we want to make sure that uh, we periodically educate you know, our staff about all these fire and life safeties, not just when they come back to the office once and then done forever. Uh, you know, we hire new people, people leave the building. So there's, there's always turnover. So we want to keep educating people. Um, but it's also unique because we don't want any, we don't want education to be too regular because then it starts becoming this white noise that no one pays attention to. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a, a middle balance you're trying to find there, not too regularly, but also you still want that, get that information out and each building and workplace is unique. So you want to make sure that messaging is specific to things that are likely to occur there, right? If I'm working in a typical office, it might be different than if I'm working in maybe an office that also has a warehouse for distribution, then that might be different than something also that might be storing, you know, stuff for machine shops. There's always a uh, different aspects of, of buildings to keep in mind. Uh, we also recommend the formation of an emergency management committee that need that should that should have representatives from several different departments as well as senior management. We want everyone to buy in to life and fire safety because uh, you know it affects everybody. Uh, committees should be conducting hazard vulnerability analysis, and that's you know a, a big fancy word to say making sure that you know what's going to happen to your building, right? Where are the potential emergencies that might occur, whether there's snowstorms, flooding. Um, you know, electrical fires. Am I, do I live downtown in a major city? Is, are there riots that might happen? So just trying to run through the scenarios and then look at those scenarios based on the severity. So again, how much damage is it going to cause? You know, maybe a small garbage fire is not going to cause a lot of damage, um, but also the frequency, because if those small garbage fires are happening every week, then that's going to be something that might rise to the top of that priority list. So mm. uh, those are some of those recommendations. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I want to ask, what's the difference between an emergency action plan and a fire prevention plan? And do you need to have both? Um, yes, the difference between an emergency action plan is emergencies involve more than just fire, right? So it could be, unfortunately, there might be some sort of gun violence in the area. There might be a bomb threat. There might be flooding. There might be too much snow. So your emergency action plan should start to incorporate more than just fire, right? Fire is a type of emergency. Um, emergency action plans should be having, should be considering a whole different band of emergencies. While all looking all at, hazards, basically. Yeah, exactly. When we look at all hazards, while looking at just specifically our, our fire prevention plan, then we're looking at just one of those hazards and taking a deep dive on it because 
maybe fires are more likely to happen. Maybe we looked at all of our, our all hazards and we found that fire rose to the top for severity and you know probability. So we want to try to limit both of those things, right? We want to limit the severity and we do that by you know active and passive systems, by having portable fire extinguishers, by uh, you know having sprinkler systems installed, but also want to make sure that people are educated because that might be able to reduce the frequency of these things happening. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the difference I see between those two. Um, you know, obviously it's fire prevention week and you're, you know, you're raising awareness, you know, and you guys have been doing this for a long time. Are you seeing things improving in terms of uh, employer, employers preparedness for fires? We do, and we, uh, we see a lot of this. NFPA does a lot of research and statistical analysis uh, when first responders and firefighters go to a scene, they are required to log that, right? And so NFPA has all that information and puts it into good reports to try and look at trends that are happening. And some of these trends we can talk about are fires are getting more expensive. And again, maybe that's just because, you know, we're having less fires, so we have less experience with having to prevent them, which is a good thing. We, we want to move in the direction of having less fires. Uh, but we do also see that the, it's kind of uh, flattening out the level of reduction in fire numbers, right? Um, so we're seeing higher value loss in these fires as well. So again, then you can blame a little bit of that on inflation and on you know more expensive equipment and stuff like that. Uh, so we are seeing more expensive fires, unfortunately. So we're having more of an impact on our economy and and on our day-to-day -day business, things like that. Um, so we are seeing a lot of these trends happening. Uh, it, it means we still have progress to be made. You know, we, we haven't solved the fire issue. And with new technologies coming in, we're gonna see new and more hazards, right? Um, take, a think, take a look at maybe you have a parking garage on your facility, right? And so maybe 20 years ago, a lot of the cars in that parking garage were made out of metal. And of course they had gasoline in them. Um, there could be some cotton seeds and things like that. But today, when you look at vehicles parked in these garages, they're going to be parked probably a little closer together. Um, they're going to be made of a lot more plastics, so it's more flammable than, say, cotton or metal, for sure. Uh, and then you're also going to have some electric vehicles. You know, what type of hazards are those going to bring in? You know, are there going to be new ignition sources? If someone gets in a little fender bender with their electric vehicle and brings it into a parking garage, is there additional hazards there? That wouldn't be it for a, uh, you know, maybe an internal combustion engine that just happens to be leaking some oil. Um, some of these hazards we're just more used to. And so as new technologies and new hazards come with those technologies, we just want to make sure that there's an awareness that people know that things like, and I'll, I'll go back to that lithium-ion battery example, mm -hmm. know that they can be hazardous. You know, some people would never sleep with a, a tank of propane in their bedroom, right? But they might sleep with a bank of batteries for an e-bike or something like that. And they both have pretty similar potential for fire and similar fuel load, but we're just not used to seeing, you know, certain things as danger because they're not integral into our lives or if not yet as they're becoming more and more. Um, and you now this year, especially, you know, we're both in the Northeast and it's been so dry um, especially this summer, uh, and brush fires have been sparking up, you know, in, in multiple areas. Has that been sort of like, uh, an increased concern just for fires spreading to, you know, I guess 
businesses nearby? I mean, is that something that kind of, uh, you know, folks should watch out for when, when there's sort of outside weather concerns? Yeah, absolutely. And I know we have our FireWise community, which is kind of our, our outreach and advocacy program, uh, you know, encouraging locals just to, for solutions for wildfire safety. Um, and this really gets into community planning, making sure that if you do live in an area susceptible to wildfires, that, you know, you have kind of this barrier around your building where maybe you don't have a lot of trees right up against your building, or you don't have a lot of shrubs right up against your building to try to prevent fire from spreading, right? When fire, forest fires occur, it's really easy for these fires to just sprinkle lots of embers on a building and eventually catch that building on fire, uh, which is you know, dangerous because we obviously don't want home fires, but if someone's trying to take shelter in that building during a forest fire, that's it's not something that we want to happen. Um, so unfortunately, I'm not really involved with wildfires as much, right. but I know we have a lot of information on our website about uh, the FireWise community. So I take a, I'd recommend people take a look into that for wildfires. Um, and obviously, you know, if you're in an office, you should have, you know, a fire extinguisher or something like that. Is there any other kind of fire prevention equipment that offices should have? Yeah, so offices should already have a lot of equipment. So my number one recommendation would, would be just to make sure that that equipment that's already there works. Make sure you're doing your inspections and testing and different maintenance that you need to do on those done by professionals who kind of know what they're doing. We don't want, you know, people just trying to wing it. Um, but yeah, so the different equipment, I'd say first and foremost, make sure your fire alarm system's functioning. If nothing else works, we want to make sure that we are aware of a fire and can evacuate. You know, that's that's the biggest thing, right? We want to make sure that we can take action. Um, so make sure batteries are changed in those. If, if they are battery operated, if not, uh, just make sure that the testing and replacement's done periodically. You know, everyone should have sprinkler systems in their buildings. You know, these are things that when a fire occurs, the heat from the fire is going to activate an element within the sprinkler itself. You know, and the sprinkler discharges water from the fire, right? So making sure that those are working, making sure they're not blocked with any obstructions or things like that, making sure they're not damaged, you know, et cetera, and things. Um, portable fire extinguishers, as you mentioned, um, eventually they do expire. So you wanna make sure that they're being maintained, make sure that they are in the correct locations. People can often move them if I'm gonna use them for a propped door open or something like that. Um, you know, they can oftentimes wander their way around the buildings to so making sure where they belong, making sure they're not rusted, they're, they're working order. The last thing you want is to have a small fire that could easily be put out with an extinguisher and then make that extinguisher not working and having to run out of the building and then have the whole building burn down, especially for you know preventable fires, we want to prevent them. Um, and then other than that, just your general maintenance and housekeeping for the building itself, ensuring hazards aren't brought into the building that shouldn't be there, things aren't stored in the wrong place, such as your stairwells, um, so that general maintenance and housekeeping is going to be really big. Uh, you know, you look at, and everyone loves watching those those TV shows about hoarders, right? Who have all of that fuel load. And that's all I think. I think of, wow, that's a lot of fuel in a building that's not meant to handle all that fuel. Um, so we want to make sure our offices don't start looking like that because that's going to be a real fire and life safety hazard as well. Yeah, it's like I used to work for, you know, a newspaper and, you know, just the amount of paper, you know, piled on people's desks, like it was such a fire trap. Uh, I, I think every newspaper I've ever been in has just been like, you know, people just have stuff on their desks and stuff piled up all over the place. And it just seems like, you know, 
Somebody drops a match in here and this place is gone. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm sure that or I hope that the sprinkler system was designed to think about that. And hopefully, you know, you'll get a lot of paper wet, but put out that fire before it, it hurts people. But yeah, no, there's definitely been some historical big fires and printing presses and things like that. So, uh, yeah, making sure that you're not stacking too much of that. And, and if you do have a lot, you know, there's paper in a lot of offices, but making sure it's not blocking your way out. Right. That's a huge thing, too. Well, Brian, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been uh, very educational and uh, very interesting. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. That wraps up episode 129 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.